Welcome to the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. Show notes, links and contact details can be found at robnunphoto.com. That's www.robnunphoto.com. SCL is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network and loads of other great tech podcasts can be found over at www.techpodcast.com. Now on with the show. Hi and welcome to SEL, the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. My name's Rob from RobNonPhoto.com and this is my audio diary through the wonderful world of photography. It's the 9th of July 2013, it's episode 222 and it's time to talk photography. What have I been up to this week? Well actually over the last month because I think it's that long since I recorded the last podcast. Um, a couple of little things I've been playing around with. A short review of uh, our last photo assignment and then a new photo assignment for the next few months to keep us busy over the summer. Well, why haven't you been recording podcasts? I hear you shout at your iPods and MP3 players and computers. Again, the usual excuse, I'm afraid, been really busy at work and at home. Uh, six days a week at the moment at work and then obviously things do at night. Especially doing lots of walks to try and keep fit, to try and lose some of this weight I've put on over the last few years after giving up smoking. Um, but what I have been quite lucky in is being able to cover up, cover at a few other Southampton, a few other Machine Mart stores, excuse me, got a little bit of wind, <sighs> pardon me, um, cover a few other Machine Mart stores and that has enabled me to go out for some quick photo walks before work if I got there um, and the, uh, the the traffic hadn't been too bad and luckily again uh, I've covered at Southampton a few times and um, the traffic's been really clear on the M27 so I've got there in time to have a quick half an hour photo walk um, you might have seen some of these photos on my Flickr photo stream already but there was one where uh, they're building this new uh, high-rise building um, on the way into Southampton when you come off the motorway at Eastleigh on this quite busy junction and I thought well, I've got to go down there and take some photos so you know, I got there and it just happened to be a little bit early so I threw my camera on marched up to uh, where this building is and luckily kind of opposite the building there's a there's a footbridge so I set myself up on there put the 55 to 250 on and started snapping away looking for angles and stuff like that funnily enough although it was only about 10 to 8, 8 o'clock in the morning the crane driver had already started work and uh, and I'll put this photo in the show notes over on robinonphoto.com as the crane kind of moved round and I zoomed in on the little cab underneath this massive crane you could see him giving me the V sign <laughs> so you know being the friendly photographer I am I waved back at him gave him another two fingered salute and then proceeded to take some more photos and then wandered back and got some interesting photos I mean it, a lot of the time with photography it's all about staying sharp isn't it it's all about staying frosty and if you can shoot whenever you can um, that really helps 
got some nice kind of like, they're not street photography because they're not photos with people in them but the photos of I guess they're architecture photos of different buildings out around that area of um, Southampton and then funnily enough a few about a week later I went to cover at Southampton again and got there a bit earlier again and I went down this way I've been before because there's this other tower block that's been covered in scaffolding for a long time and I thought I'm going to go down there and take some photos of it Um, but instead of going right to this um, playing field here I thought no I'll just go left I don't know what was down there just went left took some other pictures of this building um, which turned out to be part of the university that's kind of been shut shut down this this tall building went around the corner there's a sign for St Mary's Church went down this little lane and lo and behold there's this really old I guess it's a Victorian probably a lot earlier church with this great graveyard and uh, headstones um, really nice place just to take some photos in the morning which I proceeded to do and I'll put those photos in my uh, Flickr photo stream as well probably won't be on the show notes because although I've edited them I haven't uploaded them yet and uh, it kind of just shows you just by I didn't know it was there but just by thinking now I'm not going to go the way I've been before I'm just going to walk a different way went down there and and came across a a really interesting to take place to take um, some um, some some photos. As I said earlier, I've been doing a lot of these evening walks with Suzanne and Oliver, just trying to get myself a little bit fitter, just to lose a little bit of this excess poundage that I've managed to put on. Um, my gain, my aim really is to really get down to something like a 34-inch waist with the old trousers. Um, I'm currently at about 40 inches, which I think is pretty fat. And I, if if I put my weight into um, one of those BMI body mass indicator type uh, websites it turns out that I think I'm morbidly obese or something like that so I need to lose some of this some of this weight and get get fitter so just by going out and walking a lot I'm getting myself a little bit fitter so that I can start moving into doing something a bit more vigorous like going out on the bike more often uh, maybe doing a bit of jogging so that's been great going down the beach with Oles and Suzanne taking plenty of photos um had a good weekend at the car boots. Saturday I had off and went to um, one, I think it's called 100 Acres or Strawberry Fields. It's up to up Haven Way. Very busy, fantastic weather. It's incredibly hot in the UK at the moment. Um, and picked up an Instax Mini for about, um, how much was it? About £3, I think it was. Although one of the batteries had leaked inside the compartment, battery compartments. I thought, but I thought for three quid I'd give it a punch. Got it home, stripped the batteries out, cleaned up the terminals, put some fresh batteries in. It seems okay. Um, what I'll probably do is hang on to that one and sell my other Instax Mini, because it's in a box, maybe with, a, with some film in it as well, and start getting a uh, kind of fighting fund towards my new... DSLR body which I need to buy sort of maybe the end of the year or, or next year because as, as I've been talking about for quite a long time the 350D is getting a little bit long in the tooth and um, the things like the, the display inside the viewfinder doesn't work anymore the autofocus can be a little bit it seems to take a little bit longer than it used to to focus on things so I'm thinking maybe it hasn't got that much life left in it um, but anyway you know I thought if I can get towards near my targets for losing weight my kind of my reward to myself will be will be a new digital slr camera body but even though i'll be buying a new digital dslr camera body still on the lookout for film cameras and on sunday at the car boot sale in titchester not chichester titchfield i managed to pick up 
um, a camera that you'll probably recognise the name of if you listen to the Film Photographer podcast. Picked up a Pentax K1000. Now, on this particular little um, car boot sale, I came across an Olympus OM-1 to start off with. The guy wanted a tenor for. It looked a little bit, excuse me, a little bit dirty. Didn't look like brat. Didn't look mint or anything. And I know ten pounds is nothing, but I'm kind of on a bit of a budget as usual. So I thought, no, I won't get it straight away. Plus the fact that I've got a mint OMN, OM2, or OMN2, which is like the successor to the OM1. Um, so I thought, no, I'll have a look around first. And lo and behold, there's, there's one of these uh, little, you know, there's little aluminium, almost like mini Pelican uh, briefcases with aluminium, aluminium outside, or aluminum outside. Had a look inside, and there was this K1000 with uh, an Olympus XA2, which I've already got, which is like a little rangefinder camera, and a few little bits of old film and straps. I said to the guy, how much do you want for it? And he said, 20 quid for the lot. And I'm like, <laughs> You know, it's a bit expensive because the problem with these old camera bags, sorry, aluminium suitcase type um, things, is often the foam inside is is gone off, kind of. It's all starts to go crumbly and it falls a bit. So no, so I didn't really want it. So I said, well, look, how much just for the camera? And he said a tenner. So I had a quick fiddle around with it, checked that the apertures worked, the shutter fired, put it on like bulb mode and it stayed open. Put it on a second, and it seemed to last a second. Went up to a thousandth of a second. And everything seemed fine. No mould on the glass. You know, also, it all seemed to be in good working order and pretty clean as well. So I gave the guy his tenner and was, and was pretty chuffed. Did a little bit of research in the K1000 and had a play with it. And one thing that really stands out straight away about the K1000 is the fact that it's a fully manual camera that requires no batteries to work at all, which is brilliant because I love cameras like that, old cameras like that. And what that means is, just like the SRT101, the old Minolta I've got, it just uses a little black, um, button cell battery to far, to um, work the light meter. Everything else is just clockwork, you know. So you do not need a battery to work it. You know, when you cock the shutter, it kind of spring loads everything. So when you when you fire the shutter release, um, everything just works. And it came with a nice 50mm 1.7 lens, I think, on it. So I'm really looking forward to playing around with that one and seeing what I can. Uh, seeing what I can come up with because um, it's uh, yeah it's just always a pleasure to come across a nice manual camera that doesn't need batteries and I know it sounds a bit odd to talk about them but the problem is when you buy some of these other cameras even the, like the little compacts which I've been reviewing on YouTube is that if they don't use uh, a battery like AA's or something like that the, the battery you used to put in them could actually be quite a lot of money it could be like 10 pounds which is a lot more than the price of the camera so to have fully manual ones uh, is always a pleasure plus the fact that you know that a fully manual camera like a um, SRT 101 um, this K1000 the uh, Olympus OM1 or things like um, Nikon F2s that sort of stuff they'll go on for a long long time because there's very little electronics inside them the electronics are basically um, related to the to meters inside them, which if it breaks, it doesn't matter because the rest of the camera will still operate no problemo. And anything mechanical that fails, it's pr probably fixable, you know. Um, whereas with cameras that have lots of electronics in, like you know the the, the early Canon uh, Canon uh, EOS film cameras, is that if the electronics go on them, you know they're not really going to be uh, fixable because you can't fix printed circuit boards very easily you know you basically throw the camera away so anyway enough of me waffling on about a k1000 i suppose i should test it first and check it's okay then get back 
to you then. What I've been playing with uh, recently actually, and there's a couple of photos on the uh, photo stream, and I'll put them in the show notes, um, is doing reverse lens macro photography. Now what's that you say? I mean look, quite a few of you probably know already, but one of the things, one of the problems with uh, DSLRs or SLRs is you know you have your lenses and they can be quite expensive and you almost need like a different lens for for different occasions you know you like you have your wide angle you have your super telephoto zooms for wildlife and sports you have your 50mm or 85mm for your um, portraits and if you want to do macro you know you have to have another lens that's got a macro facility which means that it can focus really close now as I've talked about before what you probably find is that your telephoto lens, if you zoom out to its maximum zoom, will probably work quite well as a basic macro. I know my 55-250 Canon lens does, so you zoom all the way out so it's on maximum magnification, and then you'll find you can focus on things quite close, and that they're, they're pretty big. But after that, if you want to get even closer, you've either got to buy a dedicated lens, or put a filter on the end, and put extension tubes in between the camera and the lens and all these sorts of things. It's at least more things to have in your camera bag. But one of the things you can do is just take the, the lens off the camera and flip it around. Turn it around the wrong way. And then you've instantly got a macro lens. Now you can buy little adapters which basically have a have a little mount on them that snaps into the camera, then have a like a lens or well, the reverse of a, a lens filter thread so you can screw your your uh, lens on the wrong way onto your camera. Obviously you're losing all your autofocus and your aperture controls. Now the whole point I think of doing reverse lens macro is that you don't have to carry more kit with you and so it's all about hand holding it. Now it might seem quite fiddly but it isn't really because on cameras like uh, the Canon 350D I've got or the Rebel XT um, or your Nikons or uh, Sony's or, or anything there's probably like a little pop-up button that, that locks the lens in place on the bayonet mount and what you can do is if you hold your lens against that it's pretty steady um, and what I found was that um, the, what, what you can do is you, you start off with your camera around the right way on, on the, uh, the lens around the right way on the camera and you select the aperture you want to, to want to work at it may well be wide open which you don't really have to worry about or you might want to say close it up a stop or two or maybe go to f5.6 or something and then what you do is you press the depth of field preview button on on your camera so boop so that will close up the aperture and then while you're pressing that press the lens release button and take the cam the lens off the camera and what you should find is that it's broken the electrical contacts before the aperture's had a chance to close so if you have a look at down the lens you'll probably see the aperture is, is closed flip it around the wrong way Put it up against the camera. Now you're probably going to be shooting in aperture priority mode or manual mode. If you shoot in aperture priority mode, the camera will then just look at the light that's coming through and adjust your shutter speed accordingly. Now your depth of field would be really, really small, um, and you'll be going up pretty close to your to your object. So you need to be moving very carefully. Um, keep an eye on your shutter speed. Make sure it doesn't go too low. If it starts dropping, bump up your ISO or Put the camera back, put the lens back on the camera, and open up the aperture, and then flick it round again. Remember, the image stabilization won't be working either on the lens because it's not connected electronically to the to the camera. And then just have a have a uh, have a bit of a have a uh, bit of a play. 
Now, what I found was that the, the lens of the two um, lenses I actually tried that was better was actually the longer zoom, the 55 to 250, set at 55, was probably the best option. What I found by when I put the 18 to 55 or the 18 to 55 mil zoom on on the on the little Canon DSLR was that you had to get too close to the subject. You were right up against it, but with the uh, 55 to 250 set at 55, it seemed to be quite an easy. Uh, distance to go and I was fairly pleased with the results again if um, if your shutter speed is starting to get a little bit slow you know increase your ISO or use the flash as well that's what I did a few times just to, just to pop that flash just to freeze the scene and it seemed to work uh, seemed to work okay so I'm not saying it's a fantastic way of having doing macro photography but it's a it's kind of a down and dirty way where you can get away with macro photography you know, getting really close for no extra money at all and just a little bit of practice. So, you know, have a go. And remember, with reverse um, lens macro photography, you don't have to use the lenses that are anything to do with your lens mount on your camera. You can lose any old lens and flip it around the wrong way and see what happens. But, but more about that in a minute. Another thing that I've been playing around with this week is red scale photography. Uh, I've been on a little bit of uh, a crusade, if you like, to buy lots of little compact cameras and play around with them. And one of the things I tried to do is is make them a little bit more interesting in terms of the fact that if you buy an old camera, for example, on YouTube, you probably see if you look in my um, uh, YouTube sort of stream. So I've just done a review of the Canon BF uh, little compact 35 millimeter film camera. And it's a great little camera, takes AA batteries, fully automatic, um, and takes competent pictures. But often, you know, you d you're not shooting film just to get competent pictures. You want a little bit more character, a little bit more emotion in them. So what I did was I took a black marker pen and drew a circle on the outside of the lens so it would vignette, and then put a blob of black uh, marker over the electronic eye that works out the exposures so it would overexpose the photos as well. And lo and behold, the photos I got back um, were had nice saturated colours, uh, were a little bit overexposed in the middle, and then had a nice vignette on the outside. So it was kind of lomo-fying, if you like, the camera, you know, making it worse to, to, to come out with uh, different looking photos. Now, I know you could say, well, what's the point of doing that? You're ru ruining a perfectly good camera, and you could also do it in post-processing. But, you know, I'm kind of a bit of a believer in the fact that you should do as much as you can in camera. And, you know, if you want to if you want to play around with film, if you want to experiment with film, a lot of it is about something that's referred to as the happy mistake. You know, when you do something with your camera and you come up with a result that maybe you didn't plan for but you know you did it and it's happened and it's and it's chickity boo and so one of the other things you can do with film is actually run it through the camera backwards sounds a bit odd so instead of um, having the light come through the film in the in the normal way you actually <laughs> take your film attach it to another film canister that's spent, roll it into the other film canister the wrong way, so it's like the back of the film is being exposed to the light, and then go out and photograph, and overexpose it by a couple of stops, 
So, for example, if you're running, a, if you're using a 200 speed film, you'll run it at like ISO 50, because uh, obviously one stop would be 100, another stop would be would be 50. And I did this with some some film in an Olympus Trip 35, and I got the, got the uh, got the photos back a couple of nights ago. I've got to say, I got pretty mixed results. Um, some of the photos looked, you know, nice and red and interesting, and some of them were very dark and very underexposed. But I think what might have happened was that because I haven't used my Olympus Trip for quite a while, the Olympus Trips are great little cameras. Um, it's probably next to the SRT One Hundred One my favourite camera to shoot with um, in terms of film because it's fully automatic in, in terms of exposure and doesn't need a battery. You know, my old thing about not needing batteries. Um, but what you've got to make sure you do is when you're using it and playing around with it and changing focus in distances you don't knock the aperture ring from automatic onto uh, an aperture setting which I think I did and a few of the shots were in this um, graveyard of this church which was pretty dim and I remember at the time thinking gosh I'm shooting at ISO 50 in, the, in this shade I didn't really think the trip would be able to do this with with the aperture that it's got on but it was taking the photos but I think what happened was as I was changing the focusing distance I knocked the aperture ring from automatic to 2.8 and when you do that the trip will then just happily take lots of photos at a 40th of a second and I think that's where the problem came um, so what I'm probably going to do is roll another roll of red scale using a different film not the codec stuff I used and put it in a camera where it's less easy for me to make a mistake on it. Um, so probably, maybe even the, the K1000 and see what happens. Um, because you know, it's an interesting effect. Um, and it's um, kind of one of those styles of doing things along with like cross-processing when you buy E6 slide film then run it through a C41 film. Um, Got to be quite well, careful in a way in the fact that I'm getting my film developed at the local Asda now because it's because it's easy and it's five pounds to get it developed and uh, six by four prints on it, uh, you know, which is f fairly reasonable, I guess, you know. But that's f for so every time I shoot a roll of film, it's a fibre, which kind of adds up fairly quickly. But I want to give it a go. So if you fancy giving it a go, just do a Google search for red scale and uh, you see how it's done. And it's very very simple. The tricky thing can be if you're using a more modern camera that automatically detects the ISO of the film and uh, shoots accordingly because you have to overexpose the film to get through that um, the, the back of the film and, and actually get some photos so most uh, film SLRs, newer ones, that automatically detect the speed of the film, you can override them uh, with compacts though, the, often there isn't an override uh, newer compacts, uh, you've really got to go to old film compacts to, to be able to do that um, but you can override the DX encoding on, on film canisters by scratching out the foil and uh, blanking out and, and uh, doing things like that. But again, do the Google to do that. Don't put red scale film in your camera and shoot it at the normal film speed because it will be incredibly under underexposed. Um, I got a question uh, this week from JP who... Um, was asking me about what did he say? He said I saw your video on using a projector screen as a backdrop for portrait shots. I came across it while trying to reset the idea of a mobile screen as a gift for my father who was a photographer. 
Unfortunately, it is not an interest I share with him, so I was wondering if he could answer a couple of quick questions. There is very little on the web about using projector screen for this. The main question I have is about reflection. Does this cause a problem with the projector screen? It would be more reflective than the usual white sheet used for backdrops, I guess. Are there any unwanted shadow effects? Any other downside to using such a screen in place of a regular white sheet and frame? I'd really appreciate it if you had an opportunity to respond. Well, JP, many thanks for the question. And I think projector screens make great backdrops if you want a really bright white background because they're incredibly white and they're very reflective not like a mirror you know they're just very very white and what that means is that if you want a pure white background for that David Bailey or Avedon look you have to light the background uh, normally with a with a strobe with a flash and because these are so reflective you don't have to use much power to do it and whenever you're using flashes or strobes less power is always better because the recycle time the the gap between uh, the, the, the the flash being able to take another shot you want it as short as possible so it doesn't slow you down and so they're very very good for that um, I guess if your flash was set too high then you could have glare as a problem with the flash bouncing back into the camera and causing flare and glare but that can go for any backdrop, backdrop at all um, not just because it's a white, it's a projector screen so all you have to do to avoid that is just just angle your flash when it's shining at the projector screen so it's like at 45 degrees, so it's just going to hit the projector screen. Someone's going to come back at your camera, but, but the main force of it, if you like, is firing off at an angle. As long as your subject is far enough away from the screen, and they don't have to be that far, you avoid any strange shadows and things like that. Um, and in fact, I mean, for headshots or head and shoulder shots, projector screens are perfect. Um, they come in like their own carrying case and they've got their own stand because they're all kind of integral, which means they stay nice and clean. But, you know, the downsides is the fact that they are in their own metal carrying case and have got their own stand, so they're, they're quite chunky things. Um, and the size, obviously, is that, you know, you're limited to doing headshots or head and shoulder shots. You know, you've got a crop in nice and tight also they're only really good for white backgrounds you can darken things down by using you know less light on the on the on the screen and more light on the subject to, to tone it down to like a gray um, but if you really want to do that you're probably better off getting a traditional sort of cotton or muslin um, and backdrop and doing it that way and I guess the final thing I'd say is you know I don't know whether it's worth buying like a projector screen off eBay and giving it to someone as a gift. Um, a projector screen used by a photographer is more of a look what I've found, I've given it a go and doesn't it make a great backdrop screen rather than buying one for somebody. Because if you go on eBay, I'm going to do a little bit of quick research. You know, for, for £28 you can buy a white background with, with stands, you know, brand new, delivered to you. And for 40 I think it was about £48 you could get uh, the stands that hold up a really big background and it comes with a white background and, and a black background I and mean, that would be much more superior for for doing like full body shots and group shots than, than a little uh, predictor screen would be. So I hope that answers your question and uh, if anybody else has got any questions please send them in because it really helps me with ideas for the podcast and the blog to be honest over on robinonphoto.com and it keeps the episodes coming right so what have we got next the may june assignment review what 
good stuff going on over there. Superb. Remember, Flickr, if you haven't joined already, come on, people. It's free. You now get you now get two terabytes of photos that you can upload. Two terabytes. I guarantee you will never fill two terabytes worth of photos because it has to be JPEGs. I mean, that is enormous. Even if you only join just to back up your photographs, you can back them up for resolution. Do it. It's free. Come on over to Flickr.com. Register, join, and then find the RobNanPhoto.com group. Join, and then you can put your photos into the group pool so we can all have a look at them. And you can take part in the assignments that, again, they're all for fun. They're just to give us ideas. So when you're out and about shooting, you might see something and go, ooh, that would make a good shot for the assignment. Or you might go, you know, I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to get my camera, and I'm going to go and shoot something. Um, the last uh, assignment was straight up and straight down. And uh, there's some great work. Uh, James has done a lovely picture of some water. Looks like it's coming at this. Might be a waterfall, actually. Really good. Um, nice and soft. John Calidude has done like a light painting, which I guess is a LED or a laser pen spinning around. Beautiful, lovely blue. Tumos has done a nice upright photo up towards the sky of, of a looks like a stone building. Very nice. I like that. Um, and then another one which is straight down looking into he said it's a jetty so that that's very good Tumos has done working with shadows I like that I always like shadows and bridges as well my favourite thing one of my favourite things to take pictures of bridges Rod Payne a lovely picture of a bird in a tree Danny B nice reflection um, which yes which he said you know straight up straight down because you've got the trees going straight up and coming back down and one of a toilet which is quite funny Tumos has done one from a long way up it looks like it's taken from an aeroplane but he says it's from the visitor platform on top of the 115 meter high ancient gas meter in Oberhausen, Germany great shot and then Spotmatics has done one looking up a I think that's a concrete machine it's like a, or a crane of some sort very good well hopefully the idea of it was just to get you thinking about different perspectives other than you know looking straight out you know in uh, parallel with the ground you know really think about looking up looking down looking all around to borrow a phrase from Scott Bourne um, Luddard I think he calls it um, and some of the best photos you'll take are the ones that you take when you stop and turn around from when you're working working walking away from a subject so new assignment now this one is going to be for three months. It's going to be for July, August, and September because we're already into what is it? Is it the 9th of J July at the moment? Is it? Yes, the 9th of July. So this is going to be a long one, but it's also quite a an open topic. And the the, the assignment is free lensing. What that means is you can uh, the, the idea is that you've got your camera and you've got your lens and they, they can't be connected in the standard way. So they can't be snapped in on your bayonet mount. They can't be screwed in if it's an M42. Um, the lens must be free of the body. Now you can press it up against the mount, but you can't snap it in. So you could do reverse macro, take that lens off, flip it round. One of the most interesting things you can do is you can turn any lens into almost like a lens baby by take your lens off press it back up against the mount, look through the camera and then tilt it up and tilt it down and you'll kind of 
nothing will be in focus to start off with but you play around it play around with the manual focus and everything and you get massive areas of uh, of of the scene which are blurred and then you get some that are sharp because what you're doing is you you're effectively turning your lens into a tilt shift now it can be quite tricky with uh, kit lenses that have small apertures if you've got like a 518 or something put that on and it'll be much easier um, but remember, because the lens isn't fixed to the camera, you can use any lens from your collection with it. Um, anything at all, you can flip around. Hell, you don't even have to use lenses. Uh, use something like, I don't know, the bottom of a glass, the bottom of an ashtray. Um, maybe try just use, putting a UV filter in front of it. Play around with the, how far away the lens is from, from the camera, the angle, the tilting, the shifting. Try different lenses. You know, Try things that aren't lenses. Now, if you haven't got an SLR or a DSLR and you're thinking, well, wait a minute, the lens on my camera is fixed. You know, I can't take it off. No worries. Do the same thing. Put a piece of glass in front of that lens. Put a filter in front, but don't put it on the lens and then do it at a funny angle. Maybe you've got some close-up lenses. Put them on. Flip them around the wrong way. Put them, put them at an angle. Shoot through something else to distort your field of view. Because, oh, one more thing. Obviously, uh, practically you're going to be probably shooting in aperture priority mode when you do this in the camera or manual mode and the camera will uh, in aperture priority mode the camera will look after the exposure in manual mode you've got to um, but what we're trying to do is get us away from the th from us getting uh, too obsessed by the fact that the camera and the lens are the these objects that produce the photographs you know it's us that produce the photographs and it's up to us how we can use these pieces of equipment these these objects these little machines um, so let's play around them let's see what we can do let's look for remember those two things that I talk about an awful lot um, which is photographers luck which means if you want to take a great photograph take lots of photos and then chances are some of them will be good and then there's this other phrase which I've started saying recently actually which I think is very true which is which is the happy mistake which is when you try something new and something happens that you didn't expect but you know hell it's happened and it's a great photo and it'll really appeal to you so there you go free lensing july august september i'll put put up a um do a google search on it to, to get more ideas but i'll put up a new uh, d uh thread in the Flickr photo group soon and uh, just have a play play around well that's it for uh, SEL222. Thanks to everybody for posting in the Flickr group, putting their photos in there or uh, p putting comments on robnonphoto.com. Thanks to everybody who's done a review over on iTunes of the SEL Photography Podcast or, you know, if you've any other podcast aggregator that you use, I know there's loads out there, if you can do a review on SEL, please do. I really uh, uh, enjoy it. Thanks to Everyday Jones, who do the intro and outro music. You can find their stuff for free download at everydayjones.com. But most of all, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to download and listening to my podcast. My name's Rob from robnumphoto.com. Remember, you can email me, scalespeeder at gmail.com. And hopefully, pretty soon, I'll see you on Flickr.